0: And welcome back to Micromobility. Um, I am very excited to have with us today, Sample here, Tenen. How are you doing today, Sample?
1: Fine, fine. Coming uh, live from sunny Helsinki this time. <laughs>
0: yeah, I, uh, I'm i very excited to hear that it's 27 degrees up there. It's uh, Horace is oftentimes talking to me about how cold it is, so it's, it's nice to hear that you've got a flip. It's actually pretty cold down here in Wellington, New Zealand, so... Um, we're starting. We're really starting to, to feel the pinch of uh, a pinch of cold. But interestingly enough, actually, we just had the the launch of the the first scooters, uh, the the first scooter shares here in Wellington uh, today, and they've kind of been quite a hit even in the cold weather. So it's uh, it's nice to see. Um, but look, Sampo, I' uh, really excited to have you on. Um, I I know most people. Um, there's a lot of people who have been following this space who who. Uh, understand, know what WIM is, and, and I mean, you really popularized the term mobility um, as a service. So I'd love for you to just take us through a little bit about your story and how you got to being uh, to setting up WIM and Musk Global.
1: Well, uh, like any good story, it's a long one, so I'll try to shorten up. But the story doesn't uh, start from when the company started because the the whole mobility as a service is more or less a movement, and and one company. Cannot really solve it, so it, it it really takes a village to build this kind of a, a an actual mobility as a service offering. So at least for me, mm-hmm. it starts early early two thousand, so long long time ago. And I can remember when when the when it really hit me with the with the whole concept of mobility as a service. It was um, how should I put it? Drunk on a plane. Uh, had, uh, <laughs> I had I had yeah. I know all good stories are similar. Uh, yeah, I had to give. A, I was a young executive in transport, and I had to give a presentation for a lot of engineers about how technology will reshape the, the the transport sector as it is. And I started figuring out and really comparing what happened to the telecom sector. You know, coming from Finland, all the Nokia stories and such are yes. quite known. So I compared what happened in, in telecom sector from the eighties to to early two thousand when this was. And and it, it really struck me that uh, it's quite similar. It is about connecting people, isn't it? But this time it's physical, mm-hmm. physically really connecting them.
0: Yep.
1: And and that the the industries are quite same. We have the underlying infrastructure. We have the means of connection, which are phones or or scooters or cars or buses or taxis. But what was lacking is the operator part. So there's no one to really connect me throughout the whole thing and just say that hey i'll fix i'll fix these things for you and and that really got me thinking then and, and i made a claim that hey in the future we will all end up having our personal mobility operators that will just fix it throughout this chaos of different different types and different modes and that there will be a lot of different modes and players uh, coming into this quite stagnated field of we have taxis we have buses and trains and and then we have cars, and that was about it at the time. So now, when we have a lot of these a lot of these enablers that I would call, we have a lot of supply, and by yes. by really fast forwarding all the way to 2015, when the both the technology and the ecosystem, at least in Finland, started to be ready, uh, it was time to really do the last mile, which is what we're doing here mm-hmm. in MAS Global with the wind service. Uh, And and really start connecting all the dots and focusing on the user experience, the packaging, the bundling, really making, becoming a, or that we are a mobility operator for for our customers. And it's been a wild last year really trying to uh, live this big dream of, of being a mobility operator. Because if we can be that if we can, and I, I've given over 2,000 speeches about this just about everywhere in the world, and sad to say, the only place mm. I haven't been to yet is New Zealand. Sorry about that.
0: Oh, <laughs> but, oh no, the <laughs> will <laughs> get you down at some stage.
1: I'll definitely want to be there. The, um, but the, I keep on asking, because if we are successful as mobility operators, there's a good chance that we can actually be as good or even better than, than your own car. Because what, what the car provides is this individual freedom, which is uh, it's, it's, it's a really strong sentiment. It's a big feeling for everyone. If we can get to that same place by saying, hey, we can get you there. And in all, those over 2000 speeches, when I ask people, so what would I have to promise that it would, be, it would be qualify as as big of a dream as owning your car? And it's always the same. Everywhere in the world, it's the same answer. It's always, if you could promise. This thing yep. this thing of freedom, of being able to go, if you'd want to define what mobility as a service is really simply, uh, I would say it means, for the end user, it means anywhere, anytime, on a whim. If I can promise that, then people say, well, okay, well, that's fine. In Finland, it's pretty simple. People in Helsinki, which is our huge metropolitan of, of roughly about a million people, uh, Mm-hmm. everybody here has their big SUVs because they say, well, I've got this summer house. We've got a lot of summer houses. They say, I, I have to I have to have this parked all the time because, you know, the summer house. And I have to, yeah, yeah, it, it's, it's valued. I, everybody loves their summer houses. And if I can say, look, uh, whenever you need to go, I'll give you a car. Don't worry. Those five times that people approximately go, I, I'll give you a car. It's embedded in the subscription that's where the when the guard stops and they okay if you do that then I'm fine I'm good
0: yeah this is precisely I mean Horace to- talks about um, bundling or unbundling of services right that the the car is really a bundle of trips it's the opportunity of the 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 um, the optionality to be able to go and take a trip whenever you need it to your summer house, for example. So, but talk me talk me through um, for those for the for the listeners who might not know what does WIM offer. So, when you when you say um, to be able to take it on a whim, what does what um, what are the services that you'd be packaging together into this mobility as a service?
1: So, the point what we want to offer to people is that they don't need to worry about what all things we have. In order to do that, we have to convince them that we have just about everything. So what we started with in, in Helsinki is, of course, there's a good backbone of your daily mobility, which is, uh, of course, walking and, and public transport. The public transport system is good, so we have all the public transport in, within the whole region, which is, which is good, good as a starting point. Now, to complement mm-hmm. that, you need all the taxi-like services. So we needed to add just about all of the, all of the taxi providers Uh, within the area to say that there's a comfort of of actually you know getting into a taxi and we had to even play a bit with the pricing so that people feel comfortable plugging with even with taxi to a train station and such Um, we have all the city bikes that exist uh, in in the area and then and this is really important even though the modal split of cars is not huge among our users but the safety net of having all the rental uh, and some of the car share providers uh in the region give them comfort that okay if if these things are not going to be good enough then i've got the backup of of actually getting into a car um, so all yep. of these and now this summer also some great other micro mobility o- options like like uh scooter shares and and also definitely the electric bikes
0: Excellent. So those are now being integrated as well. Yeah. And, and for you, your, your business model is obviously you're coming in over the top. So you're coming in and you're saying, you're pulling all these services together, utilizing APIs and, and then buying the tickets and, and you'd offer that as a subscription. So, when you, so talk through the different subscription options that uh, Wim has.
1: Well, of course, most of the user will, users will just want to go pay as you go. So you've got all your options in one simple convenient uh, app and you don't have to hop in and out of the app ever. So you just pay, pay in that one. You get all the great brands within, the, within one app. Uh, so that's kind of the starting point. Then we have uh, something that we go, call Urban30, which means that for those that are, that are mostly utilizing public transport and some micro-mobility, uh they have a chance with uh with 62 euros that they have all the all the bikes and all the public transport that they want Uh, but on top of that we wanted to make sure that we can really cover all their journeys which means that they get a fixed rate of a five kilometer radius taxi of 10 euros which is really nicely inexpensive uh to get them to to a station so that they feel the comfort that okay i can i can really get there and on top of that to get out of the city uh, most of the time into the countryside where public transport doesn't work, for example, uh, we'll guarantee a €49 Euro per day car for you, which in Finland is a really nice price. And what we realized in, the, in, in our customers that they need the comfort of, of not fluctuating prices. Because if you give up your car, even for this, uh, let's say, l- more low-end package, uh, you, need the, you need the certainty of being able to access a car so that's the that's the urban 30 then as a as a newcomer which has been selling surprisingly well is something what we call Wim weekend which is a 249 euros package which gives you everything um everything that i just said in the Wim urban but on top of that you have unlimited weekends of a car and this is meant for Meant for those people that normally during weekdays, and we have a lot of those, during weekdays, they don't really need and want the car as a hassle. But over the weekends, they'd like to be able to access that and and go anywhere they want. And it's been a surprise, actually, uh, how fast in just these couple of days it's been launched, how people uh, Mm -hmm. have been adopting it. I was a bit hesitant with these more expensive packages because we don't do too much physical sales and, and there aren't any apps around that would make you con- really say that, okay, I'll confirm that I'll pay you 200, roughly about 250 euros per, per month. And, and then there's the sort of the uh, really ultimate one, which is Wim Unlimited, which means that you have you, uh, you can have car whenever you want. You can take short distance taxis, not the long ones, short distance taxis. As much as you want, you have public transport, you have bikes, just about everything that we have in offer is all, mm-hmm. all yours. Although with a bit of restrictions, yeah. if you have the car, we, we don't want you to have the car every day. So if you have the car, you pay for the taxis and others extra. So the idea is that you, yeah, you, yeah. you no, just I mean, do that around hear them.
0: I hear how you structure that. That makes, yeah, yeah, it makes a lot of sense. It's actually... I, I have long dreamed of, of a subscription service like this. I, um, I actually pitched that when I joined Uber um, back in 2015 and said, look, I, I, I mean, absolutely, we're going to shift towards a subscription-based model. Everybody's going to pay $500 a month and that's going to be the way they get around. And my, my thinking was at the time that would be backstopped by um, autonomous cars because autonomous cars are going to be so cheap to run, right, in theory. Uh, lots of naivety at the time, uh, I think, uh, which has definitely uh, caught up with me in that regard. but. The, the kind of the dream of it is like, yeah, rather than paying $5,000 a year or, you know, $6,000 a year, I mean, I assume, do you know what the cost of ownership per car is in Finland on a, on a yearly basis?
1: Uh, I do know on, on yearly basis. This is the average across the whole Europe is per month. It's 616 euros. So that results right. into something like a bit over 7,500 close to it uh, on annual yep. basis. Which is quite a so, lot of money. So
0: you're, you're obviously trying to kit Yeah, exactly, exactly. And so, and then you're thinking about, it and you're saying, well, we can offer you that service, and you can kind of par, you know, pass together all these different, um, solve the jobs to be done that need to be uh, that that a car would traditionally solve, but actually you can solve it in an almost uh, one would hope a better way uh, by put, putting all these different services together.
1: And and this is this is probably one of the biggest questions of our times. Is also can we. In the mobility space, can we find something that people are willing to pay that amount? It's not so much. Pe- yes. People tend to be quite sort of rational about this. And especially us, I'm a, I'm a transport engineer from background. Uh, we, we kind of want to solve this on a map and say, well, we can, we can solve your trips with, with 200 euros or even 100 euros per month. But people are not rational. We, the, the bigger question is, do we find something that people value as much as their car and they're willing to pay that? that amount
0: um one of the things that i've always kind of watching you guys um you know the thing that i've been watching is is uh that the rise of mass is 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 sort of in some ways made harder by companies not wanting to participate and the the people that i look to in this is obviously like uber and lyft so uh, they've famously fought off all efforts to to allow comparison or aggregation they always wanted to own the you know facilitating that experience themselves and owning that owning the connection with the customer so for you guys, what, I mean, what is the role of open APIs in being able to build this, as you say, this sort of like um, this village that allows for all of these um, different different services to come? Or do you think that it's, you know, because I look at Uber and I'm like, man, they've got billions in the bank. They've got the backstop of being able to get a car. When everything else fails, they can just, you know, put it onto their ride hailing platform. Um, you know, how is, for you guys, obviously building a service, you're trying to piece together lots of different pieces versus having like a core product, like ride sharing that you can then extend other verticals into and then build subscription models off that. How do you, you know, it's a walled garden approach versus an open API approach, but it strikes me as being you need the open APIs um, to really be able to make that happen for your business model to be able to really work and take off.
1: We do. This is this is the risk we're taking, that we um, we felt that the right strategy in this is, I start from the end users. Now, if I ask you, would you like to have... Uh, access to everything in your city or just parts of parts of stuff in your city you'd probably say yeah i'd like an operator that has access to everything because that that can really guarantee my my all my rides." and and if this is true uh, and you'd also want to choose your mass operator if this is true then it kind of makes sense that we try to gather everything there. And our strategy is that we want to be, the, of course, the best uh, best service provider for the, for the end user. But in order to do that, we need to be the best partner for all the transportation service providers because they actually deliver the actual service. And, and this means that, no, we don't touch any of the core. core. If we want to be the best partner, uh, it doesn't make too much sense that we try to also compete with them because that that then limits us in so many ways. We we we're not that eager to give them all the data. We're then not that eager to push their brands in our service and so on. So I'm a strong believer of course in this open ecosystem not just because it's it sounds great to have open, but I think it's the only way we could get this going. There's the other angle of of cities and because there's one one thing that we don't have too much and there's a natural monopoly and that is the physical infrastructure. Now, just assume it's easy now to say, well, Uber and Lyft and and they will have their own ride shares and bike shares and car shares and and sometimes even buses uh, parallelly running in the city. Now, it's not going to be just Uber and Lyft, because this is a huge, huge market. So it'll be 10 others that that will get enough capital to do that. Now, just imagine a city that would have 10 times the trouble that New York now has with Uber, but not just with that, but also with bikes and car shares and all of those. There, the, the infrastructure will just collapse under that. It's not doable. So the only way also, in, in any ways, for the city to be able to cater to this is that we we utilize cross-utilize that the mass operators utilize the same resources uh, as as our competitors. So from that angle, it's also it just makes sense uh, to do it to do it that way. I think from the end user perspective and also from the uh, from the city and and sustainability perspective, it's just about the just about the only way. And eventually, I also think that it makes sense from the innovation perspective. Look, uh, unlike those that try to dominate most of the transport parts of it, they'll have to also innovate in that sector. Uh, we can just, we can just uh, reap the benefits of also others uh, innovating a lot. So we don't have to be the best innovator on, on micromobility. And, and we couldn't, no chance. All we have to do is be, be really good at this bundling. And, and since we're not a provider, we're not a competitor of our partners, it makes perfect sense that, that we share the data and share the customership. I think that some of the companies in this space lack the understanding that the disruption in mobility is far, far bigger than some of the industries that have been disrupted yet. And it's so much more physical. And not all the same models and mantras of, of platform disruptions work in this. If we believe that the platform model of how it was disrupted uh, in the past will not function in this and I think we should call it more API economy not platform economy and and I I don't I don't believe in this mantra yeah
0: yeah well I, I mean that the, there's one really I mean as I was researching for this episode one of the things that I came across is this open ticketing standard that Finland enacted uh, with the act on transport in 2018 so it it as I understand it, it effectively says, look, anybody who goes and, um, well, maybe you can explain it better than I can, um, but, it, like, it, and what did, what, what was it, and then what did it enable, and why is that really interesting and specific around um, Helsinki and, the, and, and the, Finnish, the Finnish system?
1: Well, the idea was, uh, we're kind of lucky in that sense that the guys who wrote the laws for GSM are actually in the same ministry, so it's the Ministry of Transport and Communications, and they... They saw this pretty fast <laughs> that hey look, it's the same thing happening uh, all over again, and we need to make sure that the regulation is in a way future proof. That we we have to s- see ahead, and I strongly believe that the cities and government they should own the market vision how the market should run, and what they did is that they saw that okay this will we need to. Uh, have the resources available in in many different ways not to not to have too much chaos in this in 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 our cities so they force open apis in a way that if you run a transportation service in finland you will have to have a digital api to all of your services for all the information uh, but also all of the payments ticketings and such so that it can be aggregated and it can be aggregated in an open um open competitive environment so there's no there's no sort of shady deals we do with this and this one but it's we really have to compete by being really good towards the the consumer and and i have to say it was a smart move and i think it will be followed by quite many
0: well yeah i mean it's, it's certainly this is far from the norm This idea of having an open API, I mean, I just think about, um, I'm thinking Australia and New Zealand, but also in the States. One of the big things that Uber's been trying to do, obviously, and I I know a little bit about this, um, just having kind of followed it quite closely, but the the deal they did in, in Denver, for example, where they're trying to integrate trains. So if you're at the Denver airport and you want to take a train into, or you want to get a ride into the center of the city, they'll show you the option for being able to also get the train and and in theory that's all you, you can click that and then it'll tell you where to walk and then it'll give you the ticketing information and that's been enabled by masabi but on the back end masabi is like only operating in 30 cities and it's an overlay it's not actually like digging into and making all of the different transfer transit operators actually open up their payments and as far as i can see it's an into, it's a very fragmented market right like every every most places around the world um a lot of these places are very fragmented in terms of how they're actually utilizing their um their payments or well, they're all each using different systems and they're all very expensive and proprietary etc cetera, etc cetera. so um has that i mean i i take it has that impacted your ability to scale like when you're looking at being able to build this service out right it's like hard to be able to build this in city by city it's almost like you, you know each city you have to renegotiate and come up with new solutions for how to do the payments and stuff and not every city is going to be as progressive as, as Helsinki um how do you think through that part
1: it is true in the in the early days the first years of being the first runner uh in in all of this uh that's that's the one that's um that's stopping us from scaling fast it's that especially in the public transport sector the the ticketing is quite a fragmented market Uh, they've always thought like anyone else only to take their silo all the way to the end users and and not so much on having having apis for ticketing there are physically different ways of opening the gates Uh, mostly it's done through cards that are not easy to emulate with a mobile phone which is of course the sort of key to integration um, having said that, the world's moving fast towards mobile. And, and when it moves to mobile, there there's, seems to be always a, a pathway to, to being, being integrated if, if willingness exists. So I would say that this is an early, uh, early hurdle uh, for the likes of us to, to move ahead. Uh, but it will not be, that will not be the biggest hurdle in, in, the, in the years to come. Why I think the model is eventually extremely scalable is because this is still pretty cheap, the digital integration. What's really expensive is the physical elements of it. And if, if and when we can utilize the physical elements that do exist, whether it's Tokyo, Wellington, Santiago de Chile or Berlin, those really big investments, actually, the, the, the parts that the elements we need to, to make mobility as a service live, they exist. We don't need to we don't need to invest in those, so in that sense, it's yep. extremely scalable.
0: Absolutely, and um, f- from your perspective, obviously, the 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 I- I'd love to. So your business model, as you guys do it at the moment, is you go out and you buy the tickets, and you in general aggregate a lot of that stuff. Um, but the the real, in theory, right, the real business for you guys where you'll make the most money is in theory from something like a. Um, Uh, the Wim Unlimited, where it's, you know, 500 euros a month or something. And you get the breakage, you get effectively the difference between what they pay you as revenue and what you have to pay out for their service. So you're always incentivized to try and go and put them onto the, like the lower cost um, services. Talk me through how you're thinking about um, that business model evolving over time, and then also as well, the role that micromobility might have to play in, in that as well.
1: Well, um, yes, you got it right, how we need to add values one way or another, and I'm not a big believer in this, let's say, old-fashioned platform model where we just come in and we resell tickets or rides or something and, and live on the commission. Because they're, they're uh, like with the car, that's not their model. W- there, there must be something better. So our model is if we have if we can be even close to the price perception that people have of, about owning their cars and, and get to get close to that what they're willing to pay for it and then uh, just produce the rides cheaper then we're good and, and how that functions is that there's a pretty much a constant amount of trips that we know people are do normally per day and if we if we are able to do that with less than what they're willing to pay for the monthly then then we're good and and the best driver for our profitability is of course i i would put it you could say nicely because it's true that they're sustainable but it's also cheap so whenever people walk we actually make profits when they use micro mobility when they bike when they use public transport we we make profits uh it's the it's the more expensive kilometers than that then will cost us and, and those we try in a way we try to change the model split now how micromobility mobility fits into this place is in all of those cities that we've looked into or where we're live uh, most of them, if they have a, 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 at least when they have a dense, uh, quite dense center, uh, micro mobility is first of all it's a cool addition. It's a good substitute for, for some of the more expensive ways of utilizing, for example, short distance taxi, uh, and it's something okay. that people really require. We've even seen in some cities it's it's necessary to build subscriptions. Uh, in a way, cool. Uh, if we can make it extremely easy to access and use uh, across different players and then also kilometer wise compared to many others it's also rather cheap so a vital part and, and becoming more and more vital part of, of the mobility as a service uh subscription
0: absolutely and 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 that's for that's for the shared services so of the of how many shared uh integ- shared service integrations do you guys have at the moment on the platform
1: uh, we have now about 25 different players of which you mean by shared services like shared bikes and such
0: uh, shared bikes and also shared uh, shared micro mobility shared scooters and/or e-bikes.
1: I think we have now oh, three, and we're integrating something like uh, four or five at the moment that are soon soon there.
0: Yeah. yeah, awesome. And and is there any um your point around um you know using them to be able to drive people to uh get them out of taxis and into these things it's like well one of the one of the really interesting data points that we have from san francisco when san francisco when it did its uh, analysis following its trial was that they found that um uh, scooter use actually induces four times as many public transit trips as it offsets so it actually is very good at getting people like that first last mile connection right the, the, the when do people actually want to utilize these scooters is really to be able to get to the train because you know they're too expensive to take for the whole trip but you know it's uh it's good for being able to make that connection um that otherwise you'd have to walk or it'd be too you know take too much time and it's too inconvenient etc cetera, etc cetera. um yeah, it's it, from your perspective. I mean, you 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 made a point that was uh, really interesting a little bit earlier about, um, you know, you believe that these that these mobility operating systems should really sit with the city, um, and and you know, obviously, you guys are building on what in theory with the platform would look like, right? It's it's um, we have a we had a similar thing in New Zealand uh, mobility marketplace which the government tried to build. Um, where it was aggregating all the buses and all the scooters and uh, and the bikes and taxis putting it all into a place and then saying this is the API if anybody wants to access it, this is all of the all of the mobility operators uh, that exist in New Zealand. Um, and you could query it and we hadn't quite got to the payments part yet that was that's part that they're still working on but um, but in theory it makes a lot of sense for us for, for this to sit with a government because what it then allows you to do is, as we rapidly increase the number of services that we're getting, and you can see it now already with MicroMobility, um, that there are a lot of these new services that are launching, and you can, there'll be autonomous bike services coming and different form factor bikes, uh, or, you know, short little, uh, uh, you know, um, autopods, things that are small vehicles, but electric, but, um, you know, don't quite meet the, the, they're not quite cars, but they're sort of, don't require a license, et cetera. All of that's coming. And it should, in theory, be able to be very easily plugged into one of these city uh, city operators. Do you see the rise? I mean, that's that's the ultimate scenario, right, in some ways for a city, I think, is that they, they get to regulate all of that and that they get to effectively say, yes, you can be part of this and you can't. Um, do you see uh, on the other side, not, not your side because you're dealing with the customer, but actually on the city side, is there much happening in Europe on that space where you're seeing that um, evolve to a relatively standardized um, platform in terms of what that's going to look like? Or is every city different when you go to them?
1: Well, um Yes and no. Still, every city is a bit different. There's a bit of a misperception sometimes with the cities. Cities are great, but sometimes they think that the market is a city, but for any services it's not. Uh, They're not an entity of their own. They're just one part of it. I'm a strong believer that that cities and governments need to own the market vision. Uh, Sometimes that is a bit misinterpreted and, and misunderstood because having said that if they own the market vision doesn't mean that they should be a player within the markets if you if you're a regulator if you if you look at these and you're the puppeteer it doesn't mean that you should be a a player in the field now Uh, for example if i take the the platforms which is normally sort of you you as a government and you want to act and you want to get things done it's understandable you say hey how about we tender, and, and this is the tool that normally cities and governments have, we tender a platform where everybody's forced to somehow plug in, and, and then all the aggregators can just utilize access to that one. Sounds really great. In theory, uh, I've seen tens or even hundreds of them fail, and there's one reason. The, the public side is, is not normally really good at being a, a key component within the value chain. And there's a simple reason. I will never be able to get an, an SLA, a service level agreement, with a with really hard uh, hard stops on or from from someone who provides it, uh, provides it for free. And then, in in reality, after a year of this technical platform, uh, it needs an upgrade. And how is that funded? And so on and so on. So, I'm I'm a strong believer that that the cities and governments need to regulate and be on top of the markets, really look after and and license and put put sort of restrictions incentives and all of this uh, but if if they are a player within the markets if they if they are for, if they run uh, too many monopolies that we have to utilize especially on the technical parts they become a burden oftentimes so there's there's a there's understandably quite a quite a lot of hesitation on okay how do we do this how do we how do we stay on top of the whole markets then in European cities sadly I see quite a lot of the the, which is under, understandable from traffic management mentality. So I, I'm a civil engineer from traffic myself and we have this one flaw in our minds, in, in our traffic engineers, is that we think that we can actually, we can manage the whole thing and we solve this on a map. And, and it's a huge risk if we don't manage these mobility as a service, uh, the, the, the services themselves, because people might choose whatever they want and they should choose what I want and what what the city wants and and that just doesn't sell and i see too many of these trials where cities go and say well we will be the mass service provider and now now the question to this is um, the the one that you always need to compare and and i try to every day in the office try to remind the competition has to be car ownership because it's the best thing for the individuals out there and I don't see too much of a chance of, of a city to really compete with the user experience of a car, the car industry. They're, they're so good at that. and And mm-hmm. it just isn't there. People also, there's one thing that people want. They want, what's good about my car is that I get to choose my car. They want choices. So... Whilst I understand the logic and the reasoning behind this because change comes with a lot of fear and if you're supposed to control it it's it's pretty hard so it's natural to think that okay I keep the control by doing it myself but sadly that's not the right way to go about it because then you need to respect the individuals that you're serving
0: that is really interesting i mean I, I certainly think that the the point around who's going to end up owning owning and operating these mass platforms as a really is still an open question and and one of the things that i'm we you know we can see is that um the the that they're really really important especially when we think about micromobility um micromobility is in some ways like ground zero for where these arguments are being had because this political capital of being able to regulate them sits so much or sits so heavily with the councils and the, and, and with the governments in terms of how these, how these things are going to work. Um, and yet there's, there's this opportunity that exists to build these interoperable, almost like an internet of mobility, right? That all of these things kind of plug in. Um, it's just, it's just, you know, cities are oftentimes, they say they want to be able to do it, but as you say, they're technically not. They don't have the technical chops, or they they they're not able to uh, to run a fair system on the on the back end, um, and so it's a re- I I think then we may well just end up seeing the rise of um, dominant platforms, and and one of the risks that we risks you know I can see that Uber is very well placed to do a lot of that stuff, not so much in Europe, but certainly in a lot of the other you know North American and other cities around the world. Um, so I, I am curious from your perspective, do you, do you perceive that to be a risk? How do you think about Uber and, and what they're trying to do or Lyft and, and what they're trying to do?
1: Well, the service is good. And, and I have to say that the whole industry, the whole sector owes a big thank to Uber for shocking the, shocking the world and really uh, forcing people to think uh, towards the end user, not just kind of thinking about that. And, and the actual, server, uh, actual service of, of ride-hailing Uber is, is brilliant. And, and they even put some money into this company in the, in the really early stage. Uh, so I, I'm extremely keen on integrating them into, into Wim app. Now what you refer is is that they want to, uh, let's say, climb the ladder and, and become a mass operator which I
0: strongly welcome
1: good competition good and fair competition is always welcomed now I kind of understand it's it's more or less the I'd say a bit outdated um, disruption model from Silicon Valley that you think that there's going to be one to rule them all or or two to rule them all and and only it's a battle of two platforms which is I would say so old-fashioned, uh, read from books that are disruption models of the past, and doesn't really suit the whole API model. And and that I'm not a big believer. In a way, because nobody will have enough supply on their hands to to really create a good offering of mobility as a service. And if your attitude... In
0: every city, everywhere around the world. Exactly. Yeah, no, I, I, I totally, if you're, totally And this. if your
1: attitude is... I used to call it the Deutsche Bahn approach, but apparently now I can start calling it the Uber approach, is that, hey... Everyone will integrate to me, and I will integrate to no one. Do you see a bit of a problem that for the partners? <laughs> I kind of <laughs> see at the value proposition for the partners. It doesn't really sound that good. So, uh, whilst, especially in U.S., where the PT is, is maybe, maybe a, a bit weak and weaker than in some other places, they'll be able to get that, and, and probably they will get a good head start in many other places as well. And I wish them all the luck for that. I'm not a big believer that even in the midterm, you can run with that type of strategy. I do understand the whole idea of holding on to the, this is also one of those mantras that is, I would say a bit outdated already in this, this world that you hold on to the end user. We're not even trying. It's, it's going to be shared customership, whether you want it or not. The sooner you get over that, the better because we don't own the customers. We're just a window to beautiful services that exist. Hundreds and hundreds of beautiful services. And when they, when they come into micro mobility, whoever it is, they know which brand they're using. And, and since mobility is so big, if you try to control the whole environment while well, you're in for a lot of fun, it's like a retail store where you just try to sell your own stuff and control the whole thing. Doesn't really work. There's going to be shared customership, which means that there are a lot of brands within that, within that retail. The same in mobility. And we love our partners' brands because we're not a competitor to them. And, and we, we don't yep. think that we own the customership. We bundle these things, but when they do take the physical ride, they know who, who, who the, who's, uh, who's serving them
0: so absolutely the, the, For whole, the partners yeah. i imagine as well i mean the idea behind it is you bring along a bunch of people who you're 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 kind of like cajoling them out of their cars you know um, do you know what percentage of your customers actually are giving up car use when they buy the um, when they when they start buying your services
1: Sadly not. Uh, we, we actually do try to avoid asking too many questions from our users or, or collecting too many idle data about them. So we don't know exactly how many, how many have stopped. We're, uh, we did a first impact study with the data that we actually do have, uh, but then the questionnaires of, of running some sort of, some sort of a study who actually dropped the car is yet to be done. We we know from right. we know from Excellent. the feedback that there's a lot of them. Actually, maybe one of the yeah. one of the best feedbacks, or maybe peak of my career, was a couple of weeks ago. We got a five star rating in in uh, App Store, and someone wrote there that I've been good forty years uh, a customer of high end uh, BMWs and Mercedes, and I uh, wanted to really try something new. And and in the meanwhile, I, I tried to swim. And it's already exceeded all my expectations. And I don't understand why on earth wasn't this here before. Because this is this is what it should be. And I never thought these <laughs> 50, 60-year-old men would ever be our customers. And to get this is makes my heart bump.
0: <laughs> well, I was going to say, do you know what your customer demographics are? Because, you know, one of the things that I, I know about Uber is that the, when we were really digging into this, uh, you know, young people who are a little bit older than me, who've got kids, they're like the hardest demographic to break. Kids... If you've got young kids, you're the most car-dependent demographic. So typically, anybody who's looking at the mobility as a service thing, I would have thought is looking younger and then older. Does that, does that, is that how it skews for you guys as well?
1: In a way, we kind of thought that we we're on the car-hesitant space, uh, young urbanites that are like 25 to 35. And yes, most of the customers yep. are that. But over a third of our customers are above four, 45, which was a bit of a surprise. We didn't target in any marketing towards them. Uh, but it appears that yes there's a, there's quite a lot of demand uh, actually the demographics are are more flat than I would have expected in 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 all honesty
0: wow okay, yeah, really interesting well, look, I really appreciate your time um Is there anything else that you wanted to to share and um with with the with the audience and the listeners um Knowing a little bit about micromobility and the the podcast and Horace and and, um, the sort of people that he tends to attract?
1: Well, micromobility in my books and what we see in our users, there's one huge thing uh, in the whole urban planning and in resolving this that can we compare with car ownership because eventually... We'll get into a gridlock of sustainability. We can't just keep on going like this. And I'd rather serve people and give them the, the individual freedom and and not just, you know, stopping and restricting cars from the city because that's a hard one. We can do that. Mm. What micro-mobility plays into this is normally uh, in, in transport urban planning, there's a rule, some rule, that it's about 500 meters that people are willing to walk to a bus stop. Now... If this was changed, let's assume that that would uh, become two kilometers or even one and a half kilometers. It would be a huge change in the opportunity of actually utilizing much more effective uh, mass transit routes. And this is where micromobility comes into place. Because if, if it's credible, if it's, uh, if it's credibly everywhere around, it's systematic that I know that yes, the, the train stop is two kilometers away, but there's a, there's a nice e-bike, there's a scooter, there's these and these always around. It, it actually changes the whole logic and might just make the big difference in how do we create the future cities. And, and that's exciting times.
0: It is very exciting times. Well look, Sampo, I really appreciate your time and thank you so much for, for coming on. Hopefully we'll see you in Berlin in October. Hey, thank you. Cheers. All right.